0: Hello. This is the Fight Sites MMA podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Gallo, and I'm joined by Shriram Rallidharan. What's
1: up? Hi, uh, I'm the other co-host, and uh, I mean, I don't know why we're introducing ourselves when people probably, like, sought this out and they've already heard of us. I don't know. if you haven't, uh, yeah, I mean, we always want new viewers, so hopefully this is new to you.
0: Welcome, viewer. We're trying to be normal this week. It's not working very well, but I gave it my best shot.
1: That's also not our brand.
0: So. No, it's not.
1: <laughs> Just all incredibly sardonic wit and complete yes. goofiness.
0: Now that I'm dropping, dropping the uh, the act, you know, revealing that we're very much not normal. Uh, before we started this podcast, Ron was telling me about how he's been nocturnal uh, the past <laughs> week or so, and I don't know. I think he's getting more powerful. You now when he, when he posts, I can feel his posts gaining energy and uh he's been doing well on all his exams and i feel like uh you know how uh, athletes when they're really motivated they're like oh like i'm you know get up at like 4 a.m and, and run but, you know no one else is running like get that extra work in i feel maybe that's not about like the the total of your work but that your work is actually more valuable when no one else is working it's just a higher quality of work um that the earth has more uh to give you from <laughs> it this is very uh crystal's logic, but I think I think we're onto something. I think I could sell people on this. I think this is a valuable grift. Do you know anyone that would buy into that?
1: I mean, I don't think it's that complex. For one, being a good poster is kind of inversely proportional to how good of a person you are. That's true. And secondly, I think I only stay up late because of, uh, I don't want the next day to come, and the next day is just full of the mundane malaise of each day being one horror after the next. So... Yeah, it's not. I'm not gaining power. I'm I'm losing power, if anything.
0: I never sleep. Sleep is the cousin of death.
1: That's why I always sleep. <laughs> the banter is why you should sign into this podcast. Oh
0: my god. Uh, okay, so this week's episode is kind of special, in a way. Maybe you'll hate it. Maybe it'll be your favorite one. Maybe in between. There's a lot of options there. You've probably almost. already decided. Yeah, I, I think you've made up your mind before we started. Um, but... <laughs> Otherwise, we're gonna do a little bit of card discussion, which is how we've been structuring most of our episodes lately, because that's you know that's easy. But we we felt like this has been kind of a down stretch for the UFC, and you now next week is this big card, and there's gonna be a lot to talk about after that. And uh, we you know we have we have pet interests, pet topics, and theories we like to talk about, and we don't always get a chance to do it. So that's what we're gonna do this week. We're gonna be talking about uh, one way, one way that I. I like, that I kind of came up with a little bit, how to rank the greatest fighters of all time uh, in MMA, and we'll talk you through that, and we'll give some examples, and it'll be fun, and you'll get mad, and you'll hate all my (laughs) takes, but it'll be interesting, I think. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be the bulk of it, but before that, we're going to do a little card discussion, so obviously, if you follow us and you know know the, the Patreon, then you'll know that we did... Live commentary for Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. And it wasn't a long fight, but I feel like we had some things to say. And we definitely uh, spent some time after the fight trying to make sense <laughs> of the world. And yeah, I think uh, the majority of what you want to hear about that fight, we talked about on that broadcast. So uh, subscribe to the fight site on Patreon. It's $3 minimum, uh, and that will get you pretty much everything that's on there. Uh, Higher tiers of our Patreon will be access to our Discord server, which I think is a pretty funny, fun place with lots of interesting people. Um, Not all of them are on Twitter, so you don't even know what you're missing out on. Uh, Mm -hmm. And higher tiers above that are for custom content requests, and you can learn all about that on our Patreon page. Did I miss anything?
1: I don't believe so. The short version is, if you want to see all the stuff, pay $3. If you want stuff of your own, pay more.
0: That's a really good way of talking about it. I appreciate that. Um, and since you're so good at talking, would you say some words about Derek Lewis getting that win over Curtis Blades?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't, I feel like I know what to make of Derek Lewis at this point. It's just that I also kind of don't in terms of results. And it's the the most annoying thing about fighting is that you can look at guys being really, really good and not having success, and the opposite, which is you can see guys being kind of bad and still kind of meaning their way to success. Oh. And that's, as we mentioned on the actual broadcast, that's truer at heavyweight than anywhere else. Um, it's kind of a thing where people are like, skill doesn't matter at heavyweight, and I don't think it's true. I think it's kind of that the um, no one is strong enough on the feet to make memeing a non-viable path, but... On the other hand, if anyone looked to be approaching that point at this point in their career, it kind of did look to be Curtis Blades, uh, who, I mean, he wasn't ever, like, a strong, comfortable striker, but he had a lot of tricks, Uh, he'd really been mechanized into some good habits by his camp, and it all kind of turned out for naught in this fight after a dominant first round where he just ducked into an uppercut because he shot for, like, the second time in the fight. It's madness. There's, like, very little to say.
0: Yeah, that's really the annoying thing about this fight is, you know, one, obviously, yeah, we're mad about Curtis Blades losing because, one, he's he's worked with the site, you know, in the past several times. He's been a, a great help to us. He's been really cool yep. every time we've worked with him, and, you know, we're friendly with his coach, Sean Madden, and we've also uh, interviewed uh, Shana Dobson, who was also on that card, and, I don't know, we just we felt we felt connected to the fighters in, in that team, and Curtis especially, and we're really rooting for him because, like Shriram said, he's He's was really building something there at heavyweight with, with his style and his uh, his approach, and it seems like something that that could work well in other divisions. You know, with with a similar skill set, and it just seemed like a like a good MMA fighter, like a, at the very least, you know, approaching it. <laughs> you know, maybe not like super well rounded, but like he had a, he had a good thing going. And Derek Lewis is like has this undefinable style <laughs> where it, you know it, it defies logic, and he changes his approach every time. And, you know, there's there's a similar theme of him holding out for big opportunities to land that one punch he wants to land, which is, like, the meme that commentators are always trying to convince us is a thing. Like, it only takes one. Like, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's, it's a puncher's chance. I'm like, like that is so vague. <laughs> you can say that about any fight. But it seems to be something that's really true for Derek Lewis, and it's something he's, like, based his style around. He he, I think maybe he trains to do that. But in his interview after this fight, he said my entire game plan was to counter his shot with a knee or an uppercut. That was my entire game plan. So he was just looking for him to shoot, which is why he looked so uncomfortable <laughs> in the first round where Blades like, shot once on a single, gave it up, and just you know did that one-two feint game to hit him a bunch. And uh, yeah, the, the ending moment was a little uncharacteristic for Blades everyone's talking about it now, like, oh, you need to set those up, you need to set those up. And it's so frustrating is Curtis Blades is one of the fighters who sets up his takedowns really well. Like, I, I wrote an article about it. It's a consistent thing for him. So to see, uh, you know, everybody suddenly is an analyst, armchair quarterback, not, like, people we actually talk to, but, like, fighters and, you know, you know just regular people that watch the fight, they're all, they're all saying it, like, they called it. I'm like, you don't even know. Like it's just like a momentary lapse where like the one time he you know level fainted and then didn't strike and then just went right back into the level change, and Lewis is already looking at level changes. So if he if he struck after that, he absolutely would have tricked him, and the faint <laughs> would have worked. He you know, would have hit him, but you know the, he he was looking to set it up. I don't know. He just he screwed up one time. Uh, it's not like the only thing he did wrong the whole fight, but like just one big mistake and it's not even anything that's, like, inherently wrong with Blades' game. Like, <laughs> that's the yeah. thing. Like, there wasn't, like, anything big that seemed the broken there, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, when you're fainting takedowns, you do eventually have to shoot the takedown, or else they're just not going to care about the faint. And, you know, if you're just, like, Blades was level-change fainting from, like, the first seconds of the fight, he was like doing these little fake step-ins, uh, and he used that to set up his lead hand and those in-and-out movements where he'd like draw through his counter and then bounce back in with his right hand. So he was doing a lot of building off the takedown, but eventually you have to be like, okay, this guy has to worry about the takedown even more. And either that sets up the takedown or that sets up more striking. And he pulled the trigger on the takedown and it didn't work out. One thing that we kind of have to mention is that building a game around uppercut and knee counters to takedowns is kind of stupid against strong, strong wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, Obviously, it's something that you want to have in your arsenal. Guys like Jose Aldo did that a lot. But you also need to have the wrestling to work out of those positions, where Jose Aldo definitely had and Derek Lewis has less of. So it's not that Lewis fought a smart game necessarily. It's just that the one answer that he had kind of worked. But on the other hand, the one answer that Lewis has in most of his fights seems to work at an alarming rate. So I don't... I don't know whether I'm just missing something with Lewis being like one of those, oh, he's technically gross, but really smart fighters. I don't think that's what it is. But it's kind of looking that way by pure results.
0: The way he interprets heavyweight MMA, like about how you win fights, is accurate. I think that's Lewis's (laughs) biggest biggest attribute is, you know, he kind of has a dumb way of looking at heavyweight MMA and like fighting in MMA, apparently, but he's pretty realistic about it. I think he's aware of, of why it works and he, it's been proven that it works and he's just gonna keep doing it. Which is like kind of the opposite or like inverted bizarro version of Nganu, where Ngannou uh, admittedly is trying. He's really trying. He doesn't want to to meme people. Like the way he knocked out Rosenstrike was like one of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. he's had some pretty looking counters in the past and like if if you've looked at his fights before the EOC, uh, he he was doing some good work. So you know he knows how to be better put together and, and you know better mechanics and you know trying to look like a good fighter um but yeah, I mean I'm not trying to fall into the oh technical trap like where everything looks pretty it's like oh he throws his punches so straight that that thing I'm not trying yeah. to do that I'm just saying there, are you know there are bigger things there are smaller things there's a lot of things that we're not going to get into that you're looking for for someone to be doing and sometimes he did them and sometimes he just says YOLO and starts swinging and throwing his head back uh and that's bad but it works and he gets away with it and then after it works he's like oh man i shouldn't have done that <laughs> whereas derek lewis is like that was my plan the whole
1: time yeah and gun is like if um he's kind of like the Benil dariush thing where Daryush is like oh i shouldn't have gone completely mad in there well it worked but for Daryush it's like kind of reliable the way that he's doing it sometimes where against cdf he had like a plan where Ngannou just kind of sprinted at Rosenstroik, it worked, and he was like, I should never ever do that again. Despite the fact that he, he just like sat back and was technical, it probably goes pretty badly. Or at least it looks like a way uglier fight. So, yeah, I mean, Ngannou is kind of a weird case, and Lewis Ngannou 2 is probably just absolutely hilarious once oh, again. Uh, that's going to happen. Like, Steve's either going to retire in the next year or he's going to lose to Ngannou, and then we're going to get Lewis Ngannou 2 for the belt.
0: Ugh. That's all, <laughs> that's all I have to say.
1: Heavyweight just, deserves it.
0: I just don't, I don't, I don't want to have to care. This podcast makes me have to talk
1: about it. And... I mean, I, I sincerely hope Curtis Blades comes back from this one because that was a nasty knockout, and not just because, as uh, Ed mentioned, like Blades is a noted friend of the site, the entire camp is, and I think it was a, a pretty rough night for them overall. Yeah. But I mean, we can see them doing good work, so it's you know. Uh, It's a sport where you can't necessarily go by results as to the work that they've been doing. So not just because of that, but also because if heavyweight's going to have any hope of getting better, it's going to be fighters like Curtis Blades who really put the work into their craft. And as funny as it is sometimes to see a Derrick Lewis work, it's the guys like Curtis Blades who deserve to succeed.
0: That's right. MMA should be a meritocracy. Everyone I want to win should win all the fights that I want them to win I think that give gonna, Rafael a sunset his title shot that is a fair request uh, we're gonna be talking a lot about heavyweights on, on this podcast man so oh, next yeah. next heavyweight discussion I blame the UFC is, uh, yeah it's their fault Uh versus gone uh, first of all is this like a setup for a number one contender fight like if gone wins this one? Is he one away from a title shot? I mean, he did just knock out Junior Dos Santos, which the UFC takes very seriously.
1: Uh, I think it seems likely that the winner fights Lewis, because um, Ngannou's next for the title shot. John Jones is doing John Jones things, which oh, yeah, is just. Yeah, that you know, guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't really like his shot at heavyweight that much, but he's going to be in there for the belt, almost certainly. So uh, the rest of the guys are going to be treading water. and uh, I mean, until guys like, you know, Blades and. Other heavyweights who I can't be arsed to remember are going to get some wins. It's pretty much just those guys at the top. So the winner of Gone Rosenstreich is in a good place. Uh, Rosenstroik's weird. I mean, I think Gone is like the prototypical what if a lightweight was a heavyweight kind of discussion where he's like <laughs> bouncy and does in and out stuff and kicks. Rosenstroik is like kind of weird in that he shows glimpses of that, if that makes sense. He he's one of the rare heavyweights who like really builds into a fight where in the beginning you're like, what is this guy doing? I don't even think he knows what he's doing, and then by the end he's like ripping apart guards and counter-kicking and jabbing and check hooking. Like very few heavyweights. So he's a, a heavyweight that I'm relatively fond of compared to other heavyweights. But Gone seems like a, a tricky test for anyone at this point.
0: Yeah, I I can't say I've studied either of them. I, I've watched them fight several times, uh, you know, at the very least. But. I don't really have a deep understanding of either of them, but I, it kind of strikes me as a fight that I might enjoy. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, I feel yeah. like neither of them are really predisposed to like, blitzing or like the things that typically lead to like crazy heavyweight exchanges. However, usually when that's not the case, that means they're going to do nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're both committed to like a certain pace with their volume and... I think we might just see, like, a range kickboxing match, which, you know, if it's, like, a C-level kickboxing match for a heavyweight main event, that's, like, that's not the worst thing in the world. Definitely. I, I've seen worse, for sure. I've sat through worse, you know, every <laughs> month, pretty much. So, uh, I, I could be happy with that, and uh, both have, like, decent kicking games, as far as I know, and Gon yeah. seems to be fairly versatile um, with, with terrain. Um, Rosenstroy c- can fight off the back foot, but... It looks like that's something that might be getting him to, into trouble in the future. Uh, yeah. Maybe in Ghana won't be the last time that someone punishes him for you know trying to counter straight back on the back foot. Um, but yeah, who's who's pressuring through counters like that? I'm not sure. So I don't have a lot to say about this fight, but uh, I am actually interested in watching it and discussing it with you afterward and yeah. during it probably. Are we going to watch it? Probably. Together?
1: I mean, I'm down. I think it's... Rosenstreich's weird, because, like, we've talked so much about Lewis's weird process, and Rosenstreich isn't, like, completely dissimilar. He's just a lot cleaner with it. Where you could see him, like, against Junior Dos Santos, he did literally nothing, like, smart for the first seven or so minutes. Mm -hmm. He just, like, counter-kicked and counter-jabbed, like, he just did his thing. And then 15 seconds after he decided to pressure, JDS was on the floor. Um, That is no exaggeration. That is how it went. Yeah. So, I mean, Rosenstreich has, he he like thinks about the fight in a way that I don't think heavyweights do. It's just that, yeah, he has some weaknesses, he's low volume, and um, the counter-kicking probably gets him into more trouble. Against big power punchers, He just want to walk through his straight retreats. Uh, I mean, I think I'd like to see Rosenstreich win, just because I don't like heavyweights having hype. But, um, (laughs) you know, that's just me being a contrarian. Oh
0: my god. This guy is a hater.
1: I am. Curtis Blades is the only heavyweight.
0: Wow. Wow. Salty. Strike Gang, salty fight site like guys. As always, they hate fun, and uh, <laughs> that's right. We all we all hate fun. Like the only one who who humors, you know, liking MMA for MMA things is uh, is Ben Cohn. Oh yeah, I think he's the only one. That's why we have to have him around. He's our token MMA fan. Like a he's real our. Conscience. MMA fan. <laughs> he's our conscience. He's our canary in the coal mine. Uh, <laughs> so. That's that fight. Um, yeah, it seems, seems decent to me. Co-main event is Nikita Krylov versus Ankolaev. I'm just going to assume Ankolaev wins and not think about it very much. How about you?
1: Yeah, I want Krylov to win because he's tons of fun, but I don't have anything to say whatsoever.
0: No, I'm not, I'm not going to break that down. <laughs> uh, Montana De La Rosa gets back in there in the fight before that. I thought she had more momentum in the division than she did. I didn't realize that she'd lost two already. So maybe that's less significant than I thought it was, and I have not heard of her opponent. And, you know, she's, uh, she beat Jillian Robertson, which is, you know, fights I interview, darling, Jillian Robertson. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah,
1: unlike I you, I was not mistaken on Montana De La Rosa, but I, that's just because I had, like, no pretense of following her in the first place.
0: Yeah, so, whoops. <laughs> but before that is a really good fight. It's the rematch for, between Pedro
1: Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Uh, I love that fight. Uh, And, I mean, I would love it even if we hadn't seen it before and if it wasn't absolutely fantastic to watch. Uh, Split decision, I believe. Um, Jimmy Rivera took round one with just his uh, fantastic shot selection. Munoz is... So, one interesting thing is that Munoz has become a more active kicker since those days. Uh, He kicked up Rafael Assange a little bit, but the Rivera fight wasn't as kicky a fight from him. Uh, one interesting note is that Munoz kind of destroyed Aljamain Sterling's body with the front kick. And Rivera stands very square. Um, oh. Thomas Almeida had some success front kicking his body. So that's something to watch out for. Um, what else? Well, there's the there's the dominant narrative of Jimmy Rivera being a fantastic pocket boxer on the back foot. With Pedro Munoz's guard being fairly porous. Guys like uh, Frankie Edgar and even Rob Font. Well, not even Rob Font, but Rob Font as well. Uh, were able to... Uh, find some decent openings in his guard, and Rivera's terrific at it, so it's kind of a battle between Munoz playing into Rivera's fight as a short-range pressure and Munoz being a kicker, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping Jimmy Rivera wins, I like him a lot, and uh, he gave Peter Yan a, a solid fight, um, so yeah, good stuff.
0: I think I like Rivera more as, like, being good overall as a fighter. But I like the things that Munoz does more, if that makes sense. Like, I acknowledge that he's not close to where Rivera is as a boxer. But his kicking game is cool. His wrestling is very uh, complete, I would say. Obviously, he's got a great ground game. Uh, cool transitions into like that pocket year team, which I, I have, was talking to Dan Tom, and apparently he's, he knows a bunch of different names for it. Uh, there's a million names for that thing, but... The Hermanson team. The Hermanson team. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things I like that he does. And uh, he's got a great chin, <laughs> great cardio. Yeah. And Rivera, uh, you know, just I think the nature of his style being, you know, sometimes more of a backfoot guy and, uh, you know, holding his ground and you know, trying to egg people on into leading so he can counter them. Um, that works pretty well, although it's like that definitely has its limitations. And as Danny Martin would say, uh, it, it takes the initiative away from him a lot of the time. I can think of fights like uh, the Faber fight where he just kicked his leg off and didn't really need to lead and when Faber got into his range he outboxed him and otherwise he's just kicking him. Um, yeah. I feel like it's not going to be that kind of fight just because of Pedro's ability as a kicker um, and I think it's going to be pretty dynamic and their their first fight was very dynamic and there was I think uh, Munoz shot on him a couple times. They ended up wrestling a decent amount. Uh, Rivera might have shot on him as well and you know, they, they scrambled really well. They were both younger men. It was six years ago. So I think we might mm-hmm. see like a more a more controlled version of their first fight. Um but I think it's just gonna be a a, a high level contest to to steal that from whoever whoever said it. <laughs> you know, some <laughs> some talking head. Uh, I really do. I really think it's gonna be a, a nice display and uh it might be the you know, highest level fight on the card, probably.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't really see an alternative. Um winner's probably a top five Bantamweight. Pedro Munoz already beat Rob Vaughn. Uh, Jimmy Rivera would probably beat Rob Vaughn. Uh, Cody Garbrandt's not a real top five bandwagon, in my opinion. And no. he also lost to Pedro Munoz before. So there's, and he would lose there's to an Rivera. implication.
0: What? And he would lose to Jimmy Rivera as well. Oh, yeah,
1: for sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah, there are some implications here. It's just that they both kind of have that like veteran stink on them, if that makes sense. Where no one's like nice. really excited about a, a title run from them because they've already lost to top contenders. But they're relevant uh, and I'm um, hoping it's fun. Uh, Jimmy Rivera is a compelling test for a lot of guys, so...
0: Shuram says, well. stinky fight. <laughs> um, we yeah, have Angela Hill is fighting. I, I enjoy watching her say what you will. I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, she's fun. Yeah, I think she's got some stuff that, that she does well, and she's getting better, which is always yep. appreciated. Um, Alex Caseras is fighting a guy that I don't believe is real. Kevin Crew, <laughs> they made him up for sure.
1: He uh, got some upset sub a while ago. I don't remember over who. I just remember it was an upset.
0: You're all gaslighting me. Anyway, (laughs) moving on to real fights. Tiago Moises, who has fought a lot of interesting fighters and I think has a nice little skill set of his own. And he's on a win streak. He's on a two-fight win streak. uh, He's fighting Alexander Hernandez, who is back in air quotes (laughs) because he beat Chris (laughs) Gritzmacher, which what does that prove? What, is the, what does that show us differently than what he did you know, five years ago or whatever it was? Um, nothing, right? Yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> he's probably the exact same person, but he did shave his head or he grew his hair. I don't remember. He changed his look slightly at one point, but I, I think Hernandez is more or less the same guy he's been. Um, very blitzy, like reliant on athletic people. You know, decent decent wrestler, actually, um, and has a, a little bit of like a scrambling ground game, but I think his, his skill set's pretty limited. Obviously, that's upsetting to say because he knocked out Benil Dariush. Um, mm-hmm. He's his last loss in, like, however many fights, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, six-fight win streak, and uh, before that, Hernandez.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I don't really like Hernandez, but <laughs> Thiago Moises seems pretty interesting. Uh, he's a grappler, I believe, at, at heart. But, uh, yeah, he's got a nice little uh, striking game. I think you've probably internalized more about him than I had because he fought... Michael Johnson and Bobby Green and Damirez Magulov and Benil Darius, lots of guys that you pay close attention to.
1: Very true. I mean, I don't pay as much attention to Bobby Green, but he did fight him. Uh, Hernandez, he's not good enough to deserve wins over Benil Darius and Francisco Trinaldo. Those are like the lightweight southpaws who are like the, the absolute underrated goats. So Hernandez is, is not that guy. He definitely is not that guy. And he didn't beat Trinaldo. But yeah, he's uh reasonably dynamic. I think he's kind of overrated as an athlete just based on like killing Gritzemacher, who like in that fight he looked like he had a metal rod up his spine. Okay. And killing Benil Dariush on short notice when Dariush was like prepping for Bobby Green, which was definitely gonna be a much more subdued fight. So you know, unknown factor. There's a lot like the one fight where we've seen Hernandez's game really play out was uh, O A M. And he didn't look amazing. He drove a a crazy pace. He looked like a a clinch wrestling type, but couldn't really get a ton done on OAM, which makes sense, because OAM's generally tough for that, but it's just, he's not, he pretends to be imposing in every phase, while not actually being imposing in any phase. Um, Tiago Moises, he's looked like a decent right-hand counter puncher against uh, Bobby Green. That's how he won the fight. And otherwise, he just... I think Ringcraft is an issue for him, because he might get backed up to the fence pretty easily by Hernandez just rushing at him. But on the other hand, Michael Johnson is a much better pressure fighter, like, fundamentally for a round than uh, Alexander Hernandez is. Uh, So it's tough to say. But Demiris Magulov also had success putting him on the back foot. And uh, Moises isn't the deepest defensive fighter out there. So tough to say. I think Hernandez is probably KO one Reliant before he's put off by the counters. But I think Moises is better. He might just lose.
0: Mm Mm-hmm might get a little bit of athleteed situation. And, you know, being it usually exploits your uh, your ringcraft. I'll ever forget uh, Alain Patrick versus John Mcdessey where McDessie oh. lost because Patrick just kept shooting these huge double legs and, and running him into the cage and not finishing any of them. But, like, the cage was, like, giving in, and he was just, like, <laughs> just trying to tackle him over and over again, and McDessie <laughs> couldn't do anything about it, and he lost. Um, fight I think I sports. remember
1: scoring that for McDessie, but I don't remember.
0: Yeah, because, you know... Patrick literally didn't do anything, but um, just the optics of him, like, moving him around and, like, getting him to go backwards and putting him on the cage was, uh, was enough for some judges. Uh, other things on this card, uh, Ramazan Kuro Magomedov is making his debut. He was on Contender Series, and he won on there, and they didn't sign him, and Ryan Wagner thinks he's really good. I don't know why. I haven't watched him, so maybe he's good. Alex Cowboy is on a losing streak, I believe. Or maybe coming off one loss. Not know, one loss. One he beat Peter Sabata, but uh, yeah, he didn't beat anyone real before, this, <laughs> before <laughs> that. Where uh, that, and then he got a uh, K18 by Rachmanov. So he might be on the downswing, or maybe Rachmanov is just the goat. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I guess we'll figure out who Ramazan Khoromagomedov is in this fight. But I don't really care to find out beforehand. I think I'm good to <laughs> wait. You good to wait?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, this is kind of like a battle between two different influences, because on one hand, him being from Contender Series makes me never want to pay attention to him. Uh, but on the other hand, Ryan has given him a just an absolute golden seal of approval. But Ryan has also said that after the Contender Series fight that he probably shouldn't have been signed, because he's like super raw. And, uh, well, not raw, but early in his career and polished for that. But, you know, probably needs a little bit more seasoning, and he hasn't fought since then. So, we don't really know. Uh, it's... It's tricky. I, I hope he wins just because I don't really have any connection to Alex Oliveira, and I want Ryan to look good. because Ryan looking good? Is the site looking good? Mm-hmm. But past that, uh, hope it's, hope it's fun. Alex Oliveira's always good for fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he does things, for sure. And that's what I have to say about that. Otherwise, the only thing that really jumps out to me is Justin Dustin Jacoby is fighting, uh, Maxim Grishin. That's, like, a decently matched fight. Like, I'm semi interested in that, and, uh, You know, Jacoby being, you know, flatly a higher-level striker than most of the heavyweights just because he has a lot of kickboxing experience um, is interesting, but then he also was beating a guy up on the Contender Series and gassed out while beating him up, and he didn't almost lose, but it got a little rough, and uh, that's not a great sign, but, you know, he's had more time to get used to MMA again, so maybe maybe he'll get good, but (laughs) I don't know. I'll have my (laughs) eye on it. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll watch pretty much every fight in this card. I'm not picky.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a fight I think it's a card that has a bunch of fun fights, it's just that there are like two really high level names on it and not much else. So worth watching, but maybe not the most breakdownable card out there.
0: Yes. Okay. I think that's it for card talk. You good for
1: card talk? Yeah, I'm definitely good for card talk. Okay.
0: That's it. It's done. Uh, a little bit longer than I expected, but but we don't we're good. We're this is good timing. So this is the transition. This is me transitioning to a new topic. We don't have a transition music or anything that breaks up our segments. And I don't care to go through the effort of adding those. So here it is. New topic. Just a scream segue. (laughs) I can't scream anything. Just physically incapable. Uh, Yeah, too pleasant. I'm committed to being quiet. Anyway, Mm -hmm. greatest of all time. Usually, how do people think about this how how do people usually arrive at their criteria for who the greatest fighters of all time are
1: i don't really know if people generally have actual criteria (laughs) um i mean it's not like necessarily a criticism because thinking about this that much is like a a lesson in futility like it's fun it's a lot of fun and i love doing it but it's also like you're never going to land at a a good answer that everyone agrees with Mm -hmm. but I would say that the system that we're about to go through is about as reliable as you are going to get in terms of, you know, if you set a criteria and you have, like, a consistent, like, way of rating these wins, uh, you're going to land at some decent answers. So the criteria that most people use, I think it's just, like, they take the the best run of the fighter and use that. The run has to include a title or it's completely useless. And, uh, yeah, uh, aesthetics probably come into it, which is why Anderson Silva usually has... Uh, prime position on a lot of lists. Probably just length. Length is probably the biggest uh, consideration, since there's like the assumption that all divisions are at approximate skill parity, which we'll go through it, but it's not necessarily true. Um, so yeah, uh, not many well defined criteria. So this is a, a real labor of uh, mm-hmm. a pioneering labor. Yeah, I think that that you know.
0: The numbers of their championship, you know, title defenses, things of that nature, that that's very important to many people, and I totally understand why. Um, it does kind of come with the assumption that they're getting the best possible opponents or that their division is, you know, close to or equal to other divisions, and we'll get to that soon. Uh, something that Ryan Wagner came up with that for a while I definitely, it's not like I disagree with it, but for a while I was like, yeah, me too. Um he said that you know, to be one of the greatest of all time, for him, you need to have a long dominant streak as a champion at the top of your division because you need time for fighters to study you and you know build themselves up, you know, modeling themselves to beat you, like to be the guy for a long time. And there's only a small handful of fighters that fit that criteria. Um, so right away he eliminates all but like, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> 10 fighters, that's probably a, a high estimate. Uh, I'm not going to try to figure out who they are, but, you know, so for a while there was like six possible people that we thought we could rate for the greatest of all time, because they're the only ones who have done that, and then you're basically just ranking them by strength of competition after that, which felt okay, but it always bothered me that like, <laughs> just kind of get right into it, it always bothered me that John Jones... <laughs> Is a lot of people's pick for the greatest of all time. That's really where this started for me. Is everyone saying John Jones, and I'm like, man, his Wikipedia page looks awesome. Not the part with the crime, but the part with his <laughs> record, <laughs> with all the green. You know what I mean? Um, this is a lot of winning, a lot of a lot of names that you can recognize, a lot of titles and title defenses, and uh, you know a lot of dominant victories, and it looks really good on paper, but Is that all there is to it? Um, I think the assumption is that fighters at the highest levels, if you're like the number two ranked guy in your division, you are very, very good and a win over you means a ton. Um, I think in in the context of MMA is hard, yes, definitely. In the context of some MMA is a lot harder than other MMA, I think no. I think that there are a lot of fighters and a lot of fights that don't aren't held in the same regard as like a John Jones versus a Gustafsson, for example. Um, people hold that up as like one of Jones' best wins, or like even even Daniel Cormier uh, is more flawed than a lot of people think, and you know maybe not at the level that they think he is, just because of who's there to prove it. You know what I mean? Who's there to actually expose these things? steve amy did (laughs) john john jones did anderson silva did for a little bit as well um but that's you know i don't want to delve too deep into it for for fighter to fighter but just this is the general principle that is is pretty unifying among the fight site staff That's like we look for these things that are important you know for fighters (laughs) like how good is their defense like do they have any sort of process uh you know, is there depth to their skills? How far do their attributes actually take them? And are their opponents competent enough or physical enough to actually exploit any of this and show that it's there? And you might say, like, oh, if they haven't lost yet, then there's no problem. But it's just because their their opponents are so limited. So I know I've been talking for a while for around, but I, I feel like I'm in a good place to jump into a little explanation of this because I I just you know to to justify where we land on a lot of these numbers and why we think there's this much parity and separation, I guess not parity, and so much separation between some weights versus other weights, uh, is because upper weights in MMA are are worse (laughs) than the lower weights, and I think that's an objective truth right now. Um, Yeah, I mean, first of all, do you agree with that?
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, there are a couple examples. Like, uh, when you go down in weight, it generally gets better. The the, um, exception is like 135 to 125. But that's only because they killed, well, not only because, but one reason is that they killed 125. Uh, aside from that, it's just the upper weights are, you have like light heavyweight and heavyweight, which are just unmitigatedly awful. Uh, you have middleweight, which has like four good fighters and two great fighters, and the rest are just terrible. Um, and you have the rest, which are relatively deep, but you know, the in my experience, it gets more interesting the lower you go.
0: Yes. I feel the same way. Uh, maybe, like you said, maybe like once you start to get into that 55 through 35 territory, I feel like it's you know it's pretty much even around there, and then maybe yep. flyweight not quite as good. And flyweight not quite as good is actually the same reason as heavyweight not so good. It, it's a factor of population distribution. It's pretty simple, honestly. Um, there are less—get this, there are less big people— who are athletic, you know, and like durable, and like can actually fight. Who, first of all, there are less of them who exist on the planet than people who are you know around those middle and lower weights, um, especially just with like the distribution of the Earth's population. If you think of different countries, not just America. So first of all, there's less people. So a factor of less people is you know less. Co- it's less competitive. There's a smaller sample size. There are less coaches who know who are your size or know how to train you. There are less people for you to train with that are your size. Um, and another factor of that is, well, first I wanted to say that, you know, first of all, there aren't that many people. And second of all, the ones who are athletic and have all those qualities, they're probably playing other sports <laughs> because uh, if you have those attributes, you're going to make it. And uh, a lot of these other sports were being big in itself as a prerequisite. So, um, most likely you got picked up by some sort of team and got into some sport and found your value there. And you have some guys who transition from other sports into MMA, but um, they're not always the same level athletically, and that's usually the thing that set them apart. So first of all, there's that. So there's not as many people uh, versus 125 where, yeah, there's not as many people, but um, you're, like, in the wrestling room, for example, you're wrestling up. You know, You have to be better yeah. to beat people who are bigger than you. When you're the biggest guy in the room, you can be way worse than them (laughs) and and still do pretty well. So I think a part of it is people don't really understand where development happens. Uh, Happens in the gym, right? That's where you get your however many hours. I'm not going to say 10,000 hours, because I don't think that's actually something that's happening, but (laughs) that's where you put in all all the work. Like The time you spend fighting is nothing compared to all the training, and the training room is going to look like the training room is going to look like, so that could be... You know, someone who's comparably your size but not nearly as good. I mean, it's going to be slim pickings. Uh, Most likely, you're going to be training with people who are smaller than you and you're going to get away with a lot more and you're going to develop bad habits and you're not going to learn as much. That's just how it goes. Whereas when you're the smallest guy in the room, speaking from experience, you have to learn ways to beat bigger people. You have to learn (laughs) ways to uh, get one over on them, which is part of why scrambling is so much part of the meta at 125. And those lower weights is because they're used to it they're used to having to do that plus i mean physically it's easier to be that way (laughs) than when you're a heavyweight uh so that's the main argument that people bring up against this is that heavyweight mma fighters just physically can't be as good um and i think the disconnect there is not knowing what good means do you know what i mean by that (laughs)
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think another thing with a lot of heavyweights going to team sports is that it has something to do with the UFC's like corporate structure, which, to put simply, the UFC pays awfully. MMA as a sport pays really, really badly. And you would kind of have to make a bad decision actively in order to get into the sport if you're big and athletic enough to go into a different sport. Like, even at a low level, you're probably more stable going into a different sport, which is why like, you have stories like Jeff Neal, who was like a server at a restaurant for a long time while fighting. Uh, I don't think a guy who's going to, like, that's not a good financial decision to make, and you can't expect fighters to make it. So that's why if you're good enough to go into a different sport, and you're athletic and big, you're not going to go into MMA. That's just not a smart thing to do. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that the issue that people have is that they think goodness is quickness or uh, right. cardio or pace. And that's a part of it, definitely, but only in a comparative sense. Right, Like, every, if everyone's slow, if you're faster than the slow guy there, then you're still fast. And that's kind of what matters. Because like, Daniel Cormier, he's fast, but he's not fast for a Bantamweight. He's just fast for where he is, and that's still an asset. Uh, the problem that we have with Cormier, of course, is many of the other thing he's, things he thinks he does. So, yeah, it's not... Like, you can scale for some things, but goodness is often the things that you cannot scale for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the things that are doable at the parity at which you're at.
0: People who defend against this narrative um usually they they put down the idea of projecting hypotheticals like well if this person was that way doing the same things that they do if you like leveled out size and physical factors they would beat them uh which you know i I think it's a true thing to say a lot of the time uh but they say like you can't know that like when they get bigger they're going to fight differently and like in some ways like their pace won't be the same you know, the speed won't function the same way. Power will function a different way. Durability will function a different way. Uh, you know, their bodies will just kind of move in a different way. That's all true. But the core things that help you win fights when you're a physical athletic person are still going to matter more uh, if, it's, if you're even comparable as an athlete. So, uh, no. Like, it's not just the <laughs> physical factors. That's not why we think they're better. We don't think Max Holloway is good because he throws a lot of punches. So, so we think it's good because of the way he throws the punches and a lot of other things about his game. Um, it's not just the volume. It's you know the volume is just kind of a, a byproduct uh, of the rest of it. That's what allows him to ha- be high volume. So there's there's a lot to explain, which is why this is a, a valuable exercise. I think because you you end up basically unpacking every fight you can and trying to figure out like what makes a fighter win, what makes it them you know a good winner. Uh, what makes people competitive in fights? What make, what's a good performance? And, and you have to analyze all those things. And just to, to counter the anti-hypothetical side where they say, oh, you can't do that. Um, I can do that because it's it's really just MMA. <laughs> it's, it's really the only combat sport where this is really obvious. Um, but there's this huge gap. Not huge, but yeah, it's, it's pretty big. Um, <laughs> bigger than, I, than I'd like to say sometimes. But uh, a lot of it is... If you look at other combat sports, I mean, I have the most experience with wrestling, for example. They're really not demonstrably worse at wrestling. What changes a lot of the time is you know pacing, uh, you know, and, and technique selection. For example, uh, a lot of wrestlers at lighter weights will you know shoot head inside, underneath, uh, and you know be able to build up to their finishes and, and wrestle in a certain way. And if you do that at heavyweight. Just the way that weight functions, it's a lot different to have a 300-pound person on top of mm. you than a, a comp- another 125-pounder. Plus, you know, the weight difference at heavyweight, you could be 220 pounds and be wrestling someone who's 285 pounds. So that's obviously a huge difference <laughs> as <laughs> yeah. well. So they, they adjust their tactics. They wrestle differently, um, but they don't wrestle worse. You know, different technique selection, a more narrow technique selection, you know, d- they... The matches definitely look different. They're a slower pace, but all the technique is there. They're very, very good. Um, they're they're about as good as as lighter weights. And again, that population effect is still taking place. So the, you know, it's the level isn't quite there. But something else that really helps out and and gives credence to this theory at at for M, you know, why MMA is special, is if you're wrestling at a high level, you probably started when you were five or six years old. And guess what? You yeah. weren't when you were five or six years old. A heavyweight. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah you were a different size person for most of the time that you were learning how to wrestle you learned how to wrestle just like everyone else you were the same size as other people everyone kind of started out in the same place and uh depending on how you grew you might not have been a heavyweight like until college even so you spend your life growing up to learn learn to wrestle in ways that are different than your end you know physical product so you you see res- heavyweight wrestlers doing things that you wouldn't see if so if you took someone who's a heavyweight and taught them how to wrestle it's a lot different. so uh, I, I don't watch boxing really so I can't speak to boxing but from the boxing I've seen it's it's a similar thing. like maybe selection of styles and techniques are different based on physical limitations. but for the most part a lot, the skills are, are largely there although there is still a gap but it's not the same as it is in, in MMA. It's much more pronounced.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about MMA is this, that, like, most people in it are in, like, you get a much lower sample size of fights, so a lot of guys don't have time to develop their games as much as well. Uh, the training is just so murderous, and it's just, it's tough to see guys, like, at heavyweight, at their prime, before they're breaking down physically as well. So there's another factor to why they're not quite as good, necessarily. So, yeah, there's, uh... Long story short, lighter weight classes are generally going to get higher scores.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just to give you, give you some spoilers that when we, when I when I show you that John Jones is not in the top fifteen, uh, you're not going to be surprised by that. Uh, so let's let's jump into it. So now that you know that, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's get into the criteria. So I, I ventured based on this that like okay, not all fights are created equal, so you have to weigh the wins differently. Um, so I really focused in on the wins. I really wanted to talk about the wins. And, like, if you're looking at a big streak of winning, then what's most important? Who'd you beat, right? Um, yeah. Real quick, what about how you beat them? Uh, your performance, what do you think about that as a criteria? Uh,
1: it's kind of tougher to quantify just because, like, I might be weird in that quick wins don't mean a ton to me. So, like, if you look at a like, if you look at a, because we have Conor McGregor rated quite highly, spoiler alert, yes. but also his best win is Jose Aldo, who he beat in a way that wasn't like super indicative of being better than him, if that makes sense. Uh, there are other wins like that, like Korean Zombie versus Moicano is one that I bring up a lot. Uh, is you know It's like how you beat them matters, and I'd definitely say in terms of who is better, that a more indicative win, like Max Holloway over Aldo is a more indicative win than Conor McGregor over Aldo, but it's also just greatness at the resume. and. The resume is to beat who you beat. And if you beat a guy who looked good in their last fight, uh, until they show it, you can't assume that they're worse in this fight. So it's it's a, it's a flaw to just the word great more than it is for the system, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Another thought on that, on the how you beat them, is that everyone's style is different, and some styles are going to be aesthetically more impressive than others. Like Kamaru Usman and the way he beat Jorge Masvidal versus yeah. like the way that Connor beats people, or, you know, the way that...
1: The way Wonderboy beat Masvidal, that might be a comparison. You know,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. The way Wonderboy beat Masvidal made it seem like Wonderboy was a much better fighter. Um, just because, like, he, he made him look dumb a few times. But yeah. that fight was actually decently competitive, um, and the, the Usman fight wasn't.
1: <laughs> just, yep. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's... Another th- like I think one exception is when like the decision went the wrong way because that's yeah. something that I do consider. Yeah. Because uh, that's not down to like the fighters; that's more down to the judges. So it's obviously an exception. But yeah, generally like a win's a win. Like if you look at someone like um, Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling, one way that you can look at the comparison is their fights against Jimmy Rivera, where Peter Yan he the, the struggle is kind of overstated, but he did struggle. And the difference is that Peter Yan had to go right through Rivera's strongest area, where Aljamain Sterling could just fight in a way that avoided it. That doesn't mean that. Aljamain Sterling's better or worse than Peter Yan, it's just a matchup thing. And sometimes people look better against opponents who are just as good um, than guys who are as good. So it, it's a tricky way. MMA is just way too varied.
0: Yeah, so I think Taylor uh, Higgins, the boxing analyst for the fight site, he he ventured to do his own little rating system, which is very similar to this one. But for his, he did factor in like how impressive was the performance. Um, and the, you know, that's like a modifier on your ranking. And I think that's messy. And I can't, yeah. I, I'm having a hard time as it is staying consistent with like the, the few things I am trying to measure. Adding in more things that I'm trying to measure is so much harder. So no, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, that can't happen. Same with like trying to weigh losses. Like I, I can't, I can't, it's, it's too much. So it, the simplest complicated system ever. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so if you don't think this is a good way to measure the greatest of all time, i don't care man like if if you want to talk about it let's talk about it i think it's fun um and it's like a fun analyst discussion like if you are interested in analysis like hey what would you rate that win like that's a fun conversation we can start to evaluate a fighter and and look deep into a specific fight i i enjoy it i mean anyone who subscribes on patreon probably knows about the resume review series it's really just that this is what that is um yeah (laughs) Just the individual examples of how I arrive at these ratings. So basically what it is, is you take a fighter, you look at their resume, you look at their wins, and you try to determine which wins were quality. And then you rank them based on their quality, and then that is that person's resume, is their wins. Um, losses, I feel, are, are usually less important because when it comes to greatness, most of greatness is concentrated in, in one run and one streak and one era. Um, fighters have losses before fighters have losses after um, and just figuring out like how much a loss is worth or not worth is very complicated and even more subjective than the rest of this so I use them as a tiebreaker um, so like if I if two people are close in ranking and you know one guy has a lot of bad losses like Eddie Alvarez then that's going to stop him from going as high despite him having a bunch of really really good wins so that, that's one function of losses but mostly I'm looking at the wins um, yeah, you know, things like career dominance and like you know fight dominance. Those are other things I might use as tie breaking criteria, but it's not the main criteria. It's not the main thing being measured. So, how good is a win? That that was a hard thing to figure out. <laughs> um, what how you would rate how you would rate a win's value? Um, but what I thought was most important was how how good was the person you beat at MMA on that night on that night. So the only time that you really can't do that is quick wins, like Shriram just said. Um, but also like Shriram just said, if, you know, Jose Aldo had looks about as good as he ever does against Chad Mendez. And then not long after fights, mm-hmm. Conor McGregor and gets knocked out in 13 seconds and then looks really good in his next fight. You, d- you default to him being that guy. Yeah. He's that guy. So you give full credit for that win. Um, if they have more time to prove if they are or aren't, then you can go by that, but otherwise you just, you're gonna have to make an assumption. So um, that that's a good example. But what we're actually rating is, you know, the holistic value of the fighter. So how do their physical attributes interact with their skills and their approach? And uh, I think the main focus has really shifted from like what is the cumulative value of all those things to how do they leverage those things to try to win the fight? Um, do you have any better way
1: of explaining that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the way that you've put it a lot is how hard are they to beat, and I think that's very accurate. Um, you know, there are guys who are who should be very hard to beat and constantly make bad decisions or phase out of the fight. Uh, there's one guy who I'm very fond of very publicly, Michael Johnson, who is a good example of that, uh, who should be way harder to beat than he is, so you can't really give, like, Clay Guida the rating <laughs> that you would for beating a Michael Johnson who's fighting a smart fight. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, in general, it's it's a confluence of a bunch of things. Like, we saw in the um, Michael Chiesa thing, right? Francisco Trinaldo was the one who kept pulling guillotines, yep. even though he looked good otherwise. And we were like, okay, well, this guy can't necessarily be that high.
0: Right that Trinaldo because Ryan fought me on it tooth and nail like <laughs> Trinaldo is so good man he's like but you can't get you can't consider him quality if he's not making good trying decisions to, win. to win the fight if he is like actively shutting himself out <laughs> of the win like that is not hard that is not hard for Kiesa to beat him if he's giving him his best position so that's a really good example of a time where the guy should be quality by all means but um That really helps me clarify my criteria actually that little Trinaldo debacle Um, (laughs) and instead of like how hard are they to beat we kind of shifted it to how well are they approaching their win condition you know what is their win condition is the first thing you have to identify and if you know a lot about a fighter you can figure that out already but if if you have to watch it in the fight something that's going to come out over time but yeah how well are they approaching their win condition and then how do their you know attributes and skills interact to try to get to that point. That probably doesn't make a ton of sense but if you watch any of the resume review videos uh, that is exactly what we're looking at so keep an eye out I actually just uh, recorded part four uh, the second to last part of the George St. Pierre resume review and I I can explain there like how I arrive at these ratings and things of that nature Um, so we consider a rating of it's out of 100 Um, I, I just put a number on it But a rating of 70 or higher is what we consider quality. Um, So a 70 is like pretty good, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like the grading or the IGN uh, ranking inflation that makes us think like a 70 is bad. But in general, a 70 fighter is generally competent, Uh, not necessarily the best. But also, you can kind of see when you get like up to the 90s or even up to the high 80s, every single point is like you have to debate over it. So yeah,
0: 70 is uh, good. Yeah, 70 is good, and it's a huge range of 30 points. So, I mean, a 70 and an 80 are very, very different fighters. And, you know, an 80 to a 90 are very, very different fighters, and a 90 to 100 are very, very different fighters. And, you know, the highest rating awarded is someone who got beat, right? So if you think <laughs> the best fighter of all time is Khabib Nurmagomedov, he isn't 100 because he, he hasn't lost, besides to Tebow. Um, but, just, but that wasn't a one hundred Khabib, you know what I mean? That was an older version of him. So we think the best fighter to have lost a fight is, is probably Aldo. Um, you know, performing at, at his highest at the highest level of anyone who's ever lost an MMA fight. Does that is that a good way to say that?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, the fact that the lo- the ninety nine loss that we gave was um, the thirteen seconds one. You kind of have to just go by surrounding form, but you can also look at the. Uh, the Max Holloway two performance, for right. instance, and be like, yeah, this guy is a, a ninety-five or above.
0: Yeah, if you're an A-level win, you're an A-level win, and that's like the best thing you can possibly have. So, we're we're assigning these these ratings to wins, and if you have at least three quality wins, so three wins of, of seventy or higher, um, you're on the list. So, I ventured to you know put as many people as I could on the list. At the moment, I have eighty-seven. entries on the list. This is 87 fighters who have at least three quality wins. So the amount of fights that I've given numbers to is pretty high in the hundreds. Uh, And then outside of the ones I've already ranked, I also have like a dozen or more, like a couple dozen waiting in the wings that I I think might have three, but I have to watch the fights to be sure. Um, A lot of this is... I'm not going back and watching every fight that I'm putting a number on. I'm just giving an approximation because in the very beginning, I had the whole like emerging fight site team. I, I started this as when we were starting the site, um, but I asked everyone's opinions about different fights and like I explained the criteria and had, we had group discussions to come up with some, some preliminary ratings for a lot of different people. Of course, now Ryan will pretend like he didn't come up with these numbers in the first place. And I'll be like, oh, that's stupid. Like, you're the one that freaking told me that Gus was a 70-whatever. And, oh my god, it's so annoying. But <laughs>
1: Gus is a 69.
0: Oh, jeez. So, you know, that's how we arrived at these numbers, and I've just been using those to inform everything, but the criteria has evolved over time, so I keep having to go back and change things, and it's, it's far from a finished product. It's very much a work in progress, but working on it, is pretty fun um yeah yeah and triram have and i have definitely done some together and we've also uh gotten into the habit of trying to figure out what a win is worth when we do our commentaries as soon as the fight's over if we think it was a quality win we try to figure it out and then we add it to the list and, and rearrange the rankings and it's a, a nice little ritual um <laughs> to track you know a fighter's progress so call it greatest of all time list Call it the greatest win collectors of all time uh whatever you want to call it, but um uh, should we give some insight into where
1: people are? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, just to go on to its value, it's just like, greatest of all time discussions are just generally more educational than there are like, functional, if that makes yeah, sense. And this is, this is a it. very interesting way to do it, like just thinking about the fights. So, I mean, we probably can't go through all of them. No, of course but, not. <laughs> uh, we should probably at least hit the top couple and some interesting entries, right?
0: Yeah, I, I did a weird cutoff on the document where that I consider the top five to be, like, the pantheon of the greats. Like, these are the greatest of all time, you know, period. Um, and then, like, six through 87 is, like, the rest. Um, I consider the top 20 to be very valuable. Um,
1: oh, I consider yeah. the top 23, and you'll see why.
0: Uh, You know what I did? Yeah, I cut off after fives, like, these are the greats, uh, like, the, the all-time greats, and then, like... uh the top 20 or the top 20, I consider that a very prestigious place to be. So I'm a little more gatekeepy with that, which is why I'm mad at myself for having Benson Henderson in there. Um, (laughs) But he's got it. I think I put him in there before I decided that I was going to give less value to wins that I think were robberies.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. There's something.
0: (laughs) But he has a bunch of them. So it's like, he has a bunch of robberies and he has like an injury win over Patricio Pitbull. So it's like, uh, he like half of his resume is like, not, he doesn't really have those wins, but, um, he's there for now, but he, he won't last. He won't last, but yeah, d- uh, let's talk about number one. I mean, I think, I don't think it's a secret that the majority of the fight site thinks that Jose Aldo is the greatest fighter of all time, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that you, a lot of people miss is the strength of his WEC, the WEC portion of his run, mm-hmm. uh, which leaves it competitive, even like surface level terms to the runs of a lot of other all time greats, Uh you know, like, if you look at someone like Anderson Silva ruling middleweight for, like, a decade, uh, Jose Aldo actually wasn't all that far off. It's just that his division didn't exist in the UFC for quite as long. Right. Uh, and the strength of his competition was just, just absolutely murderous. And, like, the, it, it's unparalleled. Uh, it's starting to be paralleled by the guy who eventually beat him, or one of the guys, rather, uh, sadness. But <laughs> it's, it's absolutely unparalleled for now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the best wins on the books for him are Chad Mendes and Frankie Edgar, who right. are... Incredibly functional, incredibly skilled, incredibly crafty, at least at the time of the fight. Um, and I add that qualifier because the number one, Chad Mendez was an Aldo 2 where he just looked in absurd form. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the trick with rating these wins is that sometimes guys' primes last like a single fight. So.
0: Right. So you have to look at it fight to fight. You have to you know, watch the fights and, and try to make <laughs> some evaluations. And there's no easy way to explain how we get there. You just kind of have to watch us do it to get a sense for how we make these evaluations, which, like I said, there's tons of examples on Patreon right now um, of us watching fights, and you can watch the fights with us and, and do this. I've done it a lot, um, and I will continue to do it. But, yeah, Jose Aldo has three A-level wins with uh, Mendez and two Eggers, and uh, just has a lot of other solid uh, high 70s and, and mid-80s wins. Like, one that people sleep on is Mike Brown. Mike yep. Brown is a very, very functional fighter. Uh, great attributes, very strong. Great cardio, big power. Uh way better wrestler than people think. Way better boxer than people think. He boxed the heck out of Uriah Faber in the rematch. Yeah. I know Faber broke his hands, but he was he was beating that ass. Um <laughs> hitting his body up. Like things that you don't normally see. Like very, very functional. His game really worked together. He had like a couple bad habits, but again, like attributes can make up for a lot. So Mike Brown's one that's really good, uh that's underrated. Mark Hominick is really underrated. Um, Definitely. Both as like a, a physical player uh, with with his cardio and uh, just like his uh, his sharpness and also just like his ability as a striker. I think people slept on him and that's another short prime where most of his prime happened in the WC and then Aldo just beat the brakes off of him and then he got knocked out really quick against the Korean Zombie because he kind of jumped the gun a little bit and got knocked out. But that's another case where like for the Korean Zombie Mark Harmonic win, you take that as the Aldo win. You know what I mean? Like he yeah, he got one punch really hard. He got countered really hard. Like that's we learned that the zombie does that to people. And then in Hominick's next fight, he has no chin. So <laughs> did he have no chin in that fight, or did he? Like, how do you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one another interesting about thing about the Mark Hominik win is that um, it's we mentioned that Ryan said that that uh, all time greats tend to have like guys build their games around them. And Mark Hominick is kind of like a prototype of a lot of the more layered boxers who went on to give Aldo a little bit more trouble, uh, you know, the kind of jabby, get them out of position and hit them, the shot selection with the body shots from Mark Hominick. Um he was, a, he was really ahead of his time in a way that like a lot of, not a lot of, but several mid-carders were that never got the credit. So, like, there are very few fighters you can say that about where they actually created the conditions that would defeat them. Jose Aldo's one, uh, probably Demetrius Johnson, George St-Pierre for sure, uh, Dominic Cruz is one D- Cruzs is very obvious just because it mostly came through a single team but <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, he's definitely one where the meta is sort of adapted to him and now you've got like a bunch of uh, stocky pocket boxers who keep strong positioning so that's yeah. an interesting consideration
0: yeah so uh, from Jose Alda's resume I counted 13 wins as quality which is uh, I believe tied for the highest. Of anyone on the list so quantity PJ, yeah quantity he has uh the case already um i believe i'm looking i'm looking right now pretty sure he does um and then for quality his average quality you know all, all of his wins average is an 84 which is very solid especially considering that it, there's a bunch of 70s weighing it down and then uh, the big three so the best three wins that's something important we look at that has a lot of weight he has three a-level wins which is better than anyone. Nobody else has that. So, <laughs> I think. I think, yeah. I can't think of anybody. He's the only one. So, and, and, I mean, not fair that two of them came against the same guy, but <laughs> it's not his fault that he had to fight Frank Jaeger twice. So, that's why Aldo's number one. Um, and he, and if you're using, like, other arbitrary criteria, he had a long dominant run and uh, he looked amazing. So, by, by basically any criteria... <laughs> Uh, besides like being weirdly attached to like their record being undefeated like if anyone fights long enough against good competition they will lose eventually and he did and then he kept beating quality opponents after he lost so (laughs) uh, that's the greatest of all time no doubt in my mind and uh already a controversial take number two i have max holloway please defend me
1: uh, I mean, I definitely can because I think Max Holloway is uh, definitely up there. I think there are some questions just because of like his actual champion run wasn't that long. But also, it's kind of similar to like Khabib and Usman where they were like a thing as a contender for so long at a high level that like, you can kind of count that as their run if that makes sense. like Just a title run isn't the important thing, it's who, who you're beating and Holloway was beating title level contenders for a long time. Uh, the two Aldo wins are among the best on this thing, I think. I think it's 99 for McGregor Aldo and then two ninety-sevens for Holloway Aldo. Yeah, it's so, it right now. Yeah, it's uh, absolute madness. And I think it, Holloway gets even more credit because he beat Aldo once in a way that looked replicable and then proved it was replicable by replicating it. <laughs> so those two by themselves give him a very good case. Yeah. And the fact that he's had such a mad run, he's lost and won again... Uh, the Even the second volkanovsky loss is a big credit to his resume that a lot of fighters don't have. That's another reason I think we missed it for Aldo, is uh, Aldo Yan is a credit to Aldo, in my opinion. Because uh-huh. uh, Aldo was super deep into his career, he looked like a skeleton at 135, He was visibly declined fighting a guy who was part of a different meta, a volume meta that had troubled him, and Aldo gave him a very good fight. Like MMA is too young to have a ton of credit given to losses, because those fighters just haven't really existed. Uh, and Aldo's one of them, and Max Holloway proved to be one of them against Volkanovski.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's like the difficulty with losses is I really don't know <laughs> what to do with them because like my bias is like some some people I want to give them credit for losses, and some people I don't. Basically, the entire but, rating system is giving people credit for losses because we're rating <laughs> how good the person that lost was. Um, yeah, that's the whole point. Like some there's hyperlinks on some of these names. It's highlights of the loser. Of how of how well the loser performed in that fight, like as proof of their goodness, um, and maybe that's crazy, but <laughs> it, it makes definitely sense enough. Yeah. So I mean, Kate Holloway has a uh, 10 quality wins, which is pretty great, especially considering how young he is. Uh, long long career, all things considered, but uh, very similar, I think, actually identical quality, uh, average to Aldo, and his big three are two Aldos, which is uh, you know, obviously amazing. And right now, I have his third best win as Cater. I know he made Cater look terrible, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think Cater is really good, which uh, if I was rating things based on the performance, like that would be even higher. Um, but Cater is comparable to like the Frankie Edgar he fought, the Ortega he fought, um, maybe even the Pettus he fought. I think the Pedes he fought was pretty good. Um, those are all like solid mid-B level wins. I think one or two points of a difference isn't really anything. It's just like a symbolic way of saying is, I think this one might be more valuable, but it's not like a real difference, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd give, uh, I'm a known Cater stan, so I'm obviously going to say this. But yeah, I think Cater's uh, probably the best among those. Um, We saw in the fight, he's just absolutely inhumanely durable, inhumanely conditioned, um, very sharp skill-wise in a phase that Holloway probably should have had more trouble with, all things considered, uh, and Holloway just completely shredded him and might have ruined his career, which makes me very sad. Yeah. But there's something. I think Calvin Cater, in the form that he was against Max Holloway, is the best featherweight other than Holloway and Volkanovsky, uh, especially over wow. five rounds. So
0: Bold, bold claims there. Um, but yeah, if you, if you analyze it through the lens of how well did he approach his win condition... It's tough because he had his defense completely figured out within 30 seconds. <laughs> um, Holloway immediately figured out what his defensive liabilities were and like knew already, but felt it out and said, yep, I'm right, and just went to work just destroying his guard and his body up and down and, and his footwork and exploiting everything that was wrong with this game, which is not something that fighters do in other divisions, by the way. Um, <laughs> no one else does that. Um, just, just tore him apart. And even so, because he was able to leverage his durability... Uh, he was still able to find spots to land some really, really nice counters, uh, and maybe if this was heavyweight and like Holloway was like the punches were comparable and Holloway like wasn't knocking him out somehow, like maybe <laughs> one of those big counters would knock him out, and like it was still a way to approach a win. He didn't get lost in that fight, um, despite taking one of the worst beatings I've ever seen. So that's kind of a credit to him. But yeah, it's tough. It's tough when people people are gonna have a hard time reckoning with someone that got their ass beat having a high rating but <laughs> that's just the way it is um, and yeah, I think before we get into like who's next let's just explain GSP because uh, a lot of people consider a lot of people that we respect so when I'm talking about like Jones being the greatest or not you're dealing with a more casual fan most likely uh, Not maybe not a casual fan but a casual fan when it comes to analysis which is a very different thing than just watching a lot of MMA yeah. I should know I've been both <laughs> um, and yeah but I think people that like are versed in the analyst sphere and, and thinking in this way a lot of them consider GSP to be the greatest of all time or the second greatest of all time and that makes sense with a lot of the common criteria like long dominant reign, uh, great performances very very skilled uh, comprehensive game and he avenges only losses and it's a very clean looking resume um, but, but what, what do you think holding him back there?
1: Mm, I mean, I think a lot of his opponents weren't, well, first of all, the best one that he has on his record is probably Johnny Hendricks, which wasn't an actual win. Uh, I'm not looking at the document now, but I think Johnny Hendricks was probably the toughest uh, yeah, that's not opponent that he had. And, I mean, there are other guys who are very strong. Thiago Alves is one I know that you rate pretty highly. Carlos Condit uh, was athletically quite a factor in terms uh-huh. of, you know, cardio and chin especially. Um Michael Bisping was skilled at that point, but obviously falling apart a little bit, end of the end of his career. Uh, BJ Penn was, I mean, an obvious legend, some things holding him back, but definitely rateable. It's just kind of tough to compare him to the guys that um, Max Holloway's been beating, because it's like years later, if that makes sense. So like, valuing a run on its own is fine, if that's your criteria, but I think it kind of shows the difference between the criteria that most people use in these. Yeah.
0: And this is one that I figured people would have the most issues with, which is why I did the Resume Review Series on GSP. Uh, I have one left to do on the Diaz, uh, Hendrix, and Bisping fights, but I've done a bunch of other ones. <laughs> so every single fight that I rated is on there, as well as a couple of fights that I didn't rate. Um, so if you go to our Patreon look for the Resume Review Series, I did so much. So uh, you can go to each of those individual fights and look at why I consider them the rating that they were or not rated or whatever. But I explain it while watching the fight. You can watch the fight with me and see my explanation and and try to understand where I'm coming from. I would like you to do that before you argue with me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And if you're not a patron, then you're not allowed to argue with me. Those are the rules.
1: rules. Yeah.
0: So I have GSP at number 5 for those reasons and I, I think the value of the big three being so important hurts him here because he has a, a nice run of 70s and 80s wins uh, which is great um, he has 12 quality wins uh, I think the average is almost 80 and he's got three uh, three solid ones and a bunch that are that are right up there um, but again the, the Hendrix win being a little less valuable because I do believe he lost that first round and if you know he lost the first round then you know he lost the fight um <laughs> You know, that that takes away from it a little bit. Obviously, that's my opinion, but all, all of this is my opinion. So, you can't draw the line there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you yeah, know, Bisping, Bisping's Bisping, but don't, don't forget that he almost died a bunch of times to old man Dan Henderson very yeah. soon before that. So, maybe not as good of a win as you might think with him being the middleweight champion. So, accomplishment-wise, yeah, he won two belts in two divisions. Yeah, he had a great run. Yeah, he was an amazing fighter. But, just based on the opponents that he fought... I can't rate him as high as the other people I do on the top five, and that that's that's a, a tough point for some people. It's the same thing that they'll say about Fedor or Anderson Silva or John Jones is like, well, how can you punish them for for who they had to fight? They can't control that. I'm like, yeah, they can't, but just we just have to go off of what happened, <laughs> what what there is to to go off of. So just by the win rating system, the wins that he has, that's where he is. So other criteria I accept him being in other places but this is the criteria that I like the best so that's why he's there um I feel like we yeah, have I mean, time to name who else is in the top five and then maybe like go deeper into one of them
1: yeah I mean one interesting thing a well, little not interesting but one kind of unfortunate thing is that uh the guys who would win head-to-head matchups aren't necessarily the ones best represented so I think GSP would probably beat Max head-to-head but other than the number one where I think Aldo is the best fighter of all time and the greatest fighter of all time you're not always going to get that, which is why I like someone like GSP is under a um, a Khabib, who I think GSP would probably be Khabib. Agreed. And uh, under Demetrius Johnson, and i definitely take GSP over Demetrius Agreed. Johnson. I think he would beat so, everyone there except Aldo. Yeah. So it's kind of tough to say, because some guys, they just weren't in an era with an opportunity to show their full head-to-head skill. And you can even say that about guys like Jose Aldo, who aren't in their prime now, but if he was in his prime, you'd be like, oh, he beats everybody there. So
0: Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to project that, but luckily this isn't based on that, so yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about those hypotheticals and such. Um yeah, so this the system has its drawbacks for sure, like wins that, you know, aren't really wins or uh, not being able to account for a fighter's being really, really good and not having the competition that other fighters have had the opportunity to fight. Uh, Chad Mendez is probably the worst thing that happened to yeah. the list, that he's not on it at all and he's one of the best fighters ever like in terms of best like goodness of fighting but not his resume isn't that good because he didn't fight that many guys that were that good and the ones he did he, he lost to them so it, it sucks but he fought really really good guys and that's who he lost to like aldo volkanovsky and conor mcgregor like are you kidding me and frankie egger the frankie egger one's the one that hurts the most but the other three guys like okay obviously it's okay to lose to them um, those are you know, some of the greatest fighters of all time they're all on this list except for him um, so that hurts me RIP <laughs> so, uh, Demetrius Johnson is one where his resume is pretty similar to GSPs um, I think we're like with the level of the wins but he does have one more and uh, his best win I think which is Benavidez uh, 2 the one where he knocked him out that, yeah. was, that was Bang Benavidez uh, where he was looking great, like, probably close to his best form, and that that's better than anyone GSP beat, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, Benavidez, uh, he was competitive at 135. We saw him basically beat Dominic Cruz in the rematch. Um, he's had a super long career, and his game has clearly survived to a point, um, even physical decline, so back in his physical prime, he was a monster. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, uh, I'm secretly giving him Cejudo 2 as a win as well, because if you know how to score sure. fights... He definitely won, and uh, that's, a, that's a great win. That's another re- very high B win, in my opinion. 4-1 uh, at worst. Maybe even trending into A territory because of... Physical factors alone. Yeah, physical factors alone. Like, the first Suhudo win, I, I called it in the 80s. In Suhudo, was super raw then. I'd still say it's a B-level win because you have this force of nature uh, with, with a <laughs> few decent skills for MMA and yeah, obviously amazing wrestling. And, yeah, way more developed in the rematch. So that that's an amazing win and I think he has it. And I haven't been able to rate his his one wins cuz I'm not really sure what to think of them. Especially cuz yeah. it's a different weight class, but I definitely I, I value those for sure. And obviously he's very skilled and had a long reign and tons of title defenses and if you value those things, then yeah, you will probably agree with him being top 3.
1: Yeah, I mean, it all sounds good to me. I think DJ kind of suffers cuz like if you look at the um The average wins, his is kind of dragged down by having a bunch of guys who didn't really deserve to be fighting him because the UFC would never, like, match contenders up. They just let them get one win over a low-level guy and then throw them to Johnson. So there's, like, Tim Elliott and Wilson Hayes and Ray Borg who are quality wins but not necessarily guys who raise his average, which kind of sucks. Yeah, that's just the perils of being a longtime champion is not every contender is the most impressive one.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's part of that is UFC matchmaking, which is... As we've said a million times, bad. Awful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, he should have Formiga, honestly. If Formiga was here, that'd be a pretty big credit. Oh, yeah.
0: Formiga at his, at his peak. But you know who does have that? Joe B does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, the only person in the top five we haven't talked about yet is uh, Habib, which I think people assumed that he would be <laughs> there. Um, obviously, you know, this is one that appeals to now analysts and casual fans or, or you know, casual analysts alike. <laughs> Um, that he... Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Did, did you break something?
1: Uh, no, something broke. I didn't break it.
0: Oh, jeez. is um, <laughs> number four. But yeah, he he has this great-looking resume. Uh, what is it, 29-0? Um, and he's got a few title defenses and a crazy win streak, and he beat a lot of names. And before his past few fights... I thought his resume was pretty lacking. People were already talking about him being a really highly ranked all time great. And, like, Slay your old man. His competition's been fairly weak. Um, his best win for a while was RDA. And, uh, you know, that was a little bit before RDA got to be the best version of himself, but it was decent. I called it a B, a B win. But uh, that recent streak with uh, Gaichi, McGregor, and Poirier, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That really I mean- did it for me.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like GSP, where like the two, or the couple best wins are late career. But, yeah, I mean, Khabib has a whole bunch, like if you look at in terms of reign, I mentioned this with um, Max Holloway, Khabib was kind of a thing since RDA, and RDA was way before his title reign, because he beat RDA and then got injured, and RDA won the title, and everyone's like, oh shit, Khabib's going to be the champion, and then he was the champion. So you can just kind of count the whole era as like his title reign, but, uh, yeah, he has a bunch of solid wins. in addition to the big three, I think Dustin Poirier is an interesting one in terms of win quality just because he was so poorly designed to deal with Khabib. But you also yeah. have to give him a lot of credit for the run that he was on before and the run that he's been on after. Um, Michael Johnson, Edson Barboza, ally of Quinta, uh, varying levels of gatekeeping. Uh, Barboza is probably the most dangerous. Johnson, probably the most competent. And, you know, there are the tough fights against Gleason Tebow. It's just. Uh, it's a very solid resume, considering how long he spent out an injury and looked like a missed opportunity, which is something that people forget about his career since he came back and looked so good. Um, he looked like he was going to be a casualty of AK at some point, and now he's just uh, one of the greatest of all time.
0: That's because for his last camp, he wasn't at AK. That was the that was the trap match, and then he <laughs> said, I'm not going to train at AK. Nothing to do with COVID, just, you know, it was a tr- strategic choice for his good training. Call. And uh, yeah, he got better and made strategic choices that you. Not he wouldn't have made them at AKA, but yeah, Habib also holds up well with head to head because uh, I think he would probably be DJ and he might beat Max. So yeah, he's got these three like high B, low A level wins with, with those three lightweights, and that definitely puts him above GSP because you know the win total he has four less, but you know four like C level wins isn't really that big of a deal. Um, he's you know fight more people, <laughs> uh, but yeah, with DJ. I I could definitely see it, but just with the Sahudo second Cejudo implied oh, yeah. in mind, I think that keeps DJ solid, but yeah. I could see Habib, even if he doesn't fight again, just like me thinking about it harder, I could see Habib jumping in, but DJ's going to keep fighting and Khabib probably isn't, so DJ has the chance to pick up some more wins and, and solidify his position, so I'm not quite ready to move him yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, at one, I don't think DJ's going to move up, but he's probably not going to lose the spot. He's
0: fighting uh, Adriano Moraes, who I haven't watched him, but I'm, I'm planning on watching that, and I'll try to figure out if, if he's quality, but yeah. So that's the top five. Uh, I just Before we finish up, uh, first of all, um, if you are interested in this topic, the first place you should look is my contributions to the greatest of all time uh, articles that we launched the site with. I wrote the entries for Dominic Cruz, Joseph Benavidez, and Eddie Alvarez. And that was the very beginning of the system when I, I wrote it based on that. It was like the first resume review. Excuse me. And uh, yeah, that was more when it was based on like the holistic total of skills and attributes, which is still a decent way to do it. Um, not quite as good as the Approaching One Condition system, but uh, similar stuff. So if you read that one, you can see like me trying to evaluate the overall game of uh the wins that each of those guys have so you could start there um the resume review videos on uh on patreon are a really good place to look and we're gonna do more in the future and uh there is one i think i've done two episodes so far for john jones and that's who i'd like to bring up because a lot of people have him as number one of all time and i have him as number 24 (laughs) (laughs) I love it
1: it's perfect you know why? because number 23 is Rafael Asunca that's why it's
0: perfect that is true I I have ranked Rafael Asunca higher all time than John Jones um, which I don't know purely for my benefit maybe (laughs) maybe I did that for Sharon but I I gave Asunca more quality wins and uh, his quality win total is, is similar I mean his average is similar but with John Jones, I think it, the the big gripe is like how many of the people he beat just aren't quality. Um, I've rated like Machida, Gustafson, uh, Tashera, Cormier, and, and sort of sort of Reyes if you really want to give that to him. Um, but first of all, he lost that one, <laughs> and um, I don't know. It's it's just like I don't rate his wins particularly high, and you'll see why if you watch. Those, re- those resume review videos for Jones I, I go into it and I, I plan on doing more of them in the future, especially for Cormier because that's one where people might disagree that it's a B-level win, I think it's a B-level win, um, but I don't think it's an A-level win and I think that keeps Jones down, but I don't know, I feel like we have to re- go back through these and, and rearrange them because like, I don't know the, our, the values have changed, the criteria has changed like after making it so um, there's probably going to be tons of shifts, but for now, Jones is out of the top 20, um I don't think he was ever in it, <laughs> actually, when I first <laughs> made it. Um, but other guys that are in that tier are like Johnny Hendricks, uh, Nate Diaz, actually has a nice little collection of wins despite all his bad losses. Um, oh. Asunzow, uh Daniel Cormier is right around there. Uh, Kamar Usman has bumped his way into that territory. Yeah, Usman's scanning Ad- on him. Yeah, Israel Adesanya is in that territory. And then you have some ACA guys like uh, A Ali Bagov, um, further down is Vartanian, but yeah, like there's a lot of, it's a good mix of established guys whose careers, whose careers are really winding down and the the up-and-coming greats who are collecting quality wins at a much faster pace than the old-timers did because MMA is a higher level now, so it's going to be easier. So I, I think it's fair that, well, I'll ask you. So the sport's been around since, you know, in, in an organized sense since the 90s. Um, it is very, very young, and people get mad that, you want to judge things by a modern standard and don't give allowances to older generations like well like for their time they were you know very good um but my argument would be that's not fair to the current fighters to be giving extra credit to fighters from 10 years ago or 20 years ago because it was you know because it was a different time like (laughs) if we're trying to evaluate the quality of wins in a holistic sense including modern fighters it's, it doesn't really work to inflate the wins of old fighters because they weren't as good then.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that we mentioned before in terms of the difficulty of rating fighters at all is that it's just a variance of the entire sport. And an interesting way to look at it is in terms of transitional work, because the guy that basically came up with it in MMA was Frankie Edgar. And Frankie Edgar is still fighting. If you Like, he just lost, of course, to Sandhagen. He's, like, on his in his decline. But he's still an active fighter. And if you look at a sport like boxing, the stuff that people do, they're doing it better than others, but they're not coming up with completely new areas of the fight. Frankie Edgar came up with transitional work one or two generations ago. And now there are fighters like Alexander Volkanovsky and Leon Edwards who are building their game based on that. And that's something that fighters back in the day, BJ Penn, um, I don't know, Dan Severn, they never had to deal with that. And if you don't have to deal with it, then that means that you're not quite as good at dealing with it. Just by definition, because you're not dealing with it. So, yeah, I mean, you kind of have to grade fighters better based... It's like, if all, it's like, if an army only has spears, and the other guy also has spears, it's impressive to win. But it's also not as impressive as being an army with guns, and being an army with nukes. The fact that it's later doesn't mean that it's not harder to do. It's just something different because you're more equipped.
0: I don't know enough about warfare to evaluate that take, but (laughs) hopefully it's a good analogy.
1: I mean, it's just, it's like the most simplistic way I could put it is that if, like, the fact that things evolve means that by definition things are getting better. There's like no way around that. That That's just the definition of the phrase.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, Obviously, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's all... All we have time for about this right now, but now that we've done a big introduction of this concept, uh, we can start talking about it more on the podcast. If that makes sense, like after we can we can do our ratings, and you know if we ever have times where we don't have anything to talk about, we can just like bring a fighter up and start talking about their wins and stuff like that. It's a nice little uh, new area of discussion that we've been having privately for a couple years now, but. Now we can bring it to the to the public.
1: Yeah, I hope you enjoy that because it's going to be... Uh, I mean, I enjoy it a lot. It's, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, some of our Discord patrons enjoy it. Uh, our, our own staff mostly just makes fun of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Um, I don't need your approval. But yeah, if you enjoy this, if you think this is a fun topic, uh, let us know and talk about fighters you're curious about. If you dig deep enough, you'll find the link to the list. I, I'm not gonna send it to you because <laughs> there's so much there I probably want to change, so don't take it too seriously. But it is, it is a work in progress. It is the list as it is now, and uh, yeah, we're we're definitely gonna talk more about this in the future. Do you think uh, uh, Gon or Rosenstreich will end up being quality wins?
1: Uh, shit, I mean, I don't. At best, like seventy-one, seventy-two. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, the bare minimum is so hard to so hard to define, but. Um, It's like Basically functional It's like the balance between basically functional And like the physicality To get you to the point where you're basically functional And that is Something that is also hard to define Like what is basically functional Uh, And you just basically have to start talking about other fighters um, And (laughs) comparing them to other fighters So um, it's much easier To start talking about it when you actually have something to compare to uh, And like a performance to rate Mm -hmm. So you will hear these Discussions soon
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, Anything else to talk about? I think this has gone about like an hour and a half, right? Yeah,
0: long, long one. No, I I mean, I have a lot to say, but not enough to keep it short. So save it for another time.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, As I said before, subscribe to the Patreon. $3 to see stuff, $5 to ask stuff. Um, (laughs) Actually, more than $5 to ask several other stuff. But, you know, that's pithy. It's a nice phrase. Um, So, yeah, go check that out. Go to our YouTube channel. Go to our sponsors. Who are our sponsors? ExpressVPN. I don't uh, know, man. <laughs> Hyperfly, Bet, uh, Bovada. Yeah. Go, go check everything out. If you got this far, I think you already love us enough to have checked those things out anyway. So, I'm not putting a ton of effort into the plug.
0: That's right. So, to all like three to 400 of you that listen to this, uh, get in touch with us on Twitter or join our Discord or, you know, let us know that you heard this and are interested in hearing more about it, or if you think it's stupid, keep it to yourself. <laughs> okay. But yeah, That's it, that's the end. Goodbye.